All right, let's get started. Then um, we have your Bibles. We'll be going through this together again. Um, John, uh, we actually went through that already. But let's start with a review. But let's go over what we went already over. And um, first of all, in order to share the love of Jesus with power, we must have a first an experience with Him, right? This is actually a booklet that I started to use and I put together on spending time with God because I realized that in order to get to know God, people got to learn in a practical way how to get to know God. So I just kind of put it together in a little booklet form. And um, this is actually a school we started in Hawaii called Living Waters School of the Prophets. And we just finished our um, second program this past couple weeks ago. And our focus is actually trying to Review. We do study of Daniel Revelation, and also several hours each day we have the teachers working with the students in some form of practical trades like agriculture and also in um, cooking, healthy cooking and plant-based diet. And then also we study the, uh, God's education we discovered in the morning for worships. So this is a, the, we're trying to create a family environment because I'm realizing that a lot of young people today, they're growing up in homes where there is not a uh, picture of how a family should be like. And so you bring them into the home here of a, of a school home, show them love of God and environment, and then also help them to see a better picture of what God's character as a father is up in heaven and lead them into a walk with, um, with Jesus Christ. And this is one of the programs we go over, is teaching them how to spend time with God. And this afternoon, I would like you to see how we can gain a more practical time with spending time with God in devotions. And that's what we're looking at, devotions and spending time and practical tips, I think, that we can learn together on. Normally, this is done with interactive. I love interactive teaching where we're going back and forth. But I think for recording purposes, it's going to be a little bit hard trying to do this. But I'm open for comments also as we go through this. So um, may we learn to learn more about God's love and His character. And let us pray together. Father, as we begin this last session, we ask for special blessing. May our minds be clear to see what you want us to learn, and may you be uplifted and glorified. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, just a review to go over. We'll go over this booklet, and you may follow along. You may fill it out if you want to. What is eternal life? In order to have eternal life, what must you and I do? We must what? John 17, verse 3, we must what? This is life eternal, that they might what? Know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So if you know God, you obtain the eternal life, right? And what's the steps we learned already? So if you you know God, you will what? Love God. God. Very good. Repetition deepens impression, right? If you love God, you will what? Obey. Obey God, right? And those who obey God will have what? Eternal life. So that's what God wants us to experience. Um, He wants us to have the obedience from the heart, within my heart. Um, Page 2. If you, that's why if you love God, let's look at that. If you love God, you will obey God. And that's why it says in Romans, right? Love is the what? Fulfilling of the what? Law. That's true, right? If you love God, you obey God. How is that so? Because if you love God, right, you will keep the first four commandments, right? 
And if you love each other, you will keep the last six commandments. So that's how love can bring obedience because love, and that's why love is the fulfilling of the law. The law reveals God's love to us. True? God loves every one of us. In other words, and God, the reason why God gives His law to you and I is because He loves us. The law was meant, given to us, not as to be a burden and a thing we have to do and that's so hard to do. The reason why God gives the law is because He wants us to be happy. That's why He gives us the law. And the reason why He wants us to be happy is because He loves us. So God shows us His love and the reason why He wants to give us His love is because He wants us to be happy and the way he knows that we can be happy is that he gives us his law. So the law reveals God's character of love. So eternal, if we love God, we obey God. And the summary here says, eternal life is to know God's character. To know God's character is to love him. And to love God is to be obedient to his word. And I want to be obedient to his word. What about you, huh? Amen? Turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 35. How did Jesus get to know and thus love his Father. Turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 35. How did Jesus get to know and love his Father? And the Bible says here, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there he what? He prayed. So he spent time with his Father. He prayed with his um, Father in order to get to know him. And that's why Jesus felt the importance of having devotions every morning. Every single morning, he spent time with his father. Why? Because he wanted to get to know his father more. He's been separated from his father since his birth, and he wanted to get to know him and get reacquainted all over again. And God taught him during these times of morning devotions on a regular basis. He was committed to spending time. And if Jesus spent time and felt the need to spend time with his father, my question is, what about you and me? Do you think that maybe we need to spend time more with God, especially as we go through the last days and we prepare for the final events? Do you not think that we need a special measure of God's outpouring of His love and His grace in these last days than ever before? The final generation needs to experience God in a powerful way. Now, turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. Luke chapter 5 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. Even though there are great pressing needs, what did Jesus still do? Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, the Bible says, But so much more went their fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and what? Prayed. So what did Jesus do? In other words, there were such pressing needs. He was so busy in ministry. You know, being in ministry... It can get very busy at times. <laughs> what do you say, brother? Huh? <laughs> Amen. And you know, I came to the realization um, that in ministry, it can steal time away from not only those who you love, but even from God himself, too, right? And so um, I was just sharing with someone actually earlier that, you know, my, my family is very important to me, very important. And I, I don't take speaking engagements unless I... Uh, take my family with me and I you know I lose money on speaking engagements because they're so important to me because I feel so important I feel so impressed that family is more important to me than even the ministry in fact my ministry is only as strong as my family true right amen 
and that's why one well-ordered, well-disciplined family does more for the gospel, right, than all the what? Sermons, right? Preaching the word. So my ministry is only as powerful as my family. My, my ministry is as powerful as my wife and my daughter. That's my, that's my first ministry. And, you know, I, I turn on, I, I say no to a lot of people, like church members or even out there. I say no for the sake of uh, my own spirituality because not only it takes time away from my family, but it takes time away from God. And I saw Jesus, he saw this in his relationship with his with his father. He knew that his relationship was so important that the needs was always there. There were those people who wanted to be healed. The people with spiritual needs, they were always there. They were always clamming for his attention, right? But they were coming after him, but he actually pulled away to spend time. And I think about pastors' kids today, and I know a lot of them. You know, a lot of times they're more interested in saving everyone else's kid, but when they get to heaven, it's going to be such a sad day to see that their own child is not there. I see this happen over and over and over again. And they don't want to change it. They want to continue on in ministry as if the ministry to their family is not even important, not realizing that that is the most important ministry. What do you say, huh? Amen? Amen. That is the most important ministry. You know, God takes care of it. I went to this one church and I was sharing about, I shared about my ministry, about my family was important. And the leadership was so impressed that I put my family first and you know, I think, oh yeah, my tickets cost about, I don't know, I, I went in the whole $1,000 of my tickets to bring my family to the speaking engagement. And I shared about my family at this, um, it was more important than anything out there, even my ministry. And um, they were so impressed that in these meetings, they actually took up an offering, and they, and they took an offering, and they took up uh, another offering, and they brought it to me and said, here, Pastor, God really bless. And it was $2,000. <laughs> God doubly blessed. In other words, more than enough that was needed, right? And that's how God works. God comes, you know, when you're faithful to what God wants you to do and you put um, your priorities straight, you know, God really blesses you. And that's why we need, we need to put our families first. What do you say, huh? Amen? You know, I just had, I talked to someone here actually in, um, in this area. I'm not going to say where, but they're saying that their families, their parents are so busy, their mom... So, so busy. The dads are professionals. They're so busy making a lot of money. Um, they had no time for them. And so, in this school, they're saying that the children, the young people, they're getting in trouble. Get this. They're getting in trouble at this academy on purpose just to get the parents' attention. And you know what I said to them? I said, that's crazy. Why would you get in trouble with all the negative consequences just to get attention? That's negative attention. And you know what they said? She said, but attention, attention nevertheless. Isn't that sad? Are we in a sad state? And we're not talking about the world out here. We're talking inside of our church. Now that we were so busy, I was just sharing that there was a young man that came to our school and his mom has cancer and she's away in another country and he was with his dad and he got involved in drugs and everything. He got kicked out of school and he came to our school, the prophets, this summer. And he was actually so sad that this, his dad wanted to start his own school, very much into evangelism, right? 
and he actually got somebody to live with him, his own. So he was coming every week to visit his son, his boy, out at the church where we were at the, had the school. And he was visiting every week. He was coming out, coming out. And then he shows up once on Friday and says, you know, I no longer can come out to, your, your, um, to visit you, son, anymore because I have this boy here that I'm going to mentor myself and I'm going to spend time with him so I can train him in evangelism. And for the next month, he never came. In fact, we were so sad, all the staff were so sad because that Saturday night had a consecration service for all the students, and he never showed up. In other words, he was so concerned about saving everyone else's soul except his own son. And my thing is, why do we spend so much money upon saving the world's soul, and it's good to send money out there and bless everyone else, and save everyone else and go out and give Bible studies to everyone else and save everyone's soul. What a sad day that's going to be when we get to heaven, our own son, and my own daughter will be lost. How can you imagine that? Can you imagine your own son and daughter lost? You know those pastor's kids I know out there who are hurting, who are suffering because their parents never spent time with them? That's the direction we're headed. You know, time is, you know what love is spelled to me? T-I-M-E. That's how I spell love. In other words, people are crying out for time. I'm, I realized that. I realized two things. I realized in, in, that's what we're talking about, time with God. I realized one thing in ministry, like going out to uh, visiting people. You know, my visitations, I don't, you know, very rarely it goes under two hours. I mean, I average about four hours in a home because people are so hungry for time with somebody to talk with them. I've six, seven, you know, eight hours. I mean, that's like, that's normal because people are starving for something. People are starving for, emotionally starving for relationships, for time with someone. It's just out there. And number, it says two things to me. Number one, it says that people are starving for a time with someone to talk to. And number two is the members are not giving it out there. They're living their own lives. And it's killing us, it's killing the ministry out there. And they come to a point where we have to say no. And I've learned that, you know, we have to spend time, we have to choose what is important. I say no to good and better so I can say yes to what is only best. And I make a lot of enemies, I know, because of that. But I know that um, God knows what I, um, I know what God wants me to keep focused on a few things and do it well, than many things and do a bad job. So that's my challenge to you. Focus on doing what is best for God. The little God has given to you. Rather than trying to do so much, doing a bad job, but do quality work and focus on quality relationships. Because people are hungry out there, especially for the love of God and the love of people that can, can show them to the Father. What do you say, huh? Amen? Amen. Amen. So focus on the relationships. That's important. Uh, on the devotions. And um, God has really continued to bless your walk. Let's turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Let's go through this. Um, you can go through it at home. I'm just going to hit some highlights. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. I felt it was good to make a booklet. I know in my churches, what I've done was I've started mentorship classes, discipleship classes in my afternoon classes. And I've realized this, and I'm not able to do it here. I wish I could because of recording purposes. But I like interactive teaching. And I learned that's where my members grew the most, number one. Number two, I like having a booklet because I've had many members say they, got, they took this home and they went through it over and over. And they had something to, to refer back to. Number three, I like um, Haskell method of, you heard that spirit prophecy quotation of Bible readings, right? Um, she recommended, and um, she said that was, Haskell's method of Bible readings was a heaven-born, what? Idea. 
right? So that question and answer, um, I really like that. And so I like to put in a question and answer with a fill in the blank. And that's what we got, like Bible readings for the home, is from divine inspiration. And I believe that still works good, to, um, good today, and we, uh, we should really be doing it. Okay, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. What part of the day did Jesus uh, pray, according to here? And in the what? What did it say? Morning. Morning. Now, Jesus prayed, had devotional times with his Father, and especially in this circumstance, situation, he was praying in the morning. Now look at your handout there, or actually in your booklet. It says here, notice what it says in Steps of Christ, page 70. Consecrate yourself to God in the what? Morning. Make this your very second work. See, good. So all you need to do is you wake up in the morning, and you make sure you, you wash the dishes, right? Or you make your to-do list, and then after you do that, then this, make this your very second work, and then you pray to God. Is that what it's saying? What is it saying? You know, I was inspired when I called Porter. Uh, it, um, when I called Porter, it actually was in Vegas, but the first time I went there, and uh, it was actually on the Bill Cricks program. And uh, yeah, Bill Crick. <laughs> and then when I was, I remember that I was so impressed when I, um, when I woke up in the morning, I would see people wake up, and the first thing they did was they rolled over on their knees and they start praying. You ever seen people do that before? Yeah. And it made an impression upon me. You know what impression that made upon me is that we cannot trust the old man. We cannot trust our flesh. That as soon as I wake up, I need to roll over. I need to surrender myself. I need to, cons- in other words, I, like this says here, I need to consecrate myself first thing in the morning because I know that, you ever been there before? Like you wake up and your mind starts racing all the things you got to do in a day. You ever been there before? Or is that only me? So you start thinking about, oh, I got to do this. And they make a to-do list, and then you start writing things down. And then I start forgetting. And then I'll, maybe I even felt spiritual in the morning because it overflowed from the night before. But then all of a sudden, I start noticing that my, of course, my thoughts affect my feelings, right? And I'll notice that I start, I'm starting to stray away from God's, from God's word and from God's thoughts and to human thoughts. Okay, the next thing. How early in the morning did Jesus have his devotions? Mark chapter 1, verse 35. The Bible says, and in the morning, rising up, when? A great what? While before what? Day. Now, what I'm doing here is, I'm not saying that you need to do all these things one time. We're going to go through a lot of these things. What I'm saying is this. Go wherever you may be at. These are just principles that you're going to find in the Bible, the Spirit of Prophecy. But everyone is at your own walk. Example, everyone is mature wherever you may be. Some of you are new Christians, and you're not having any devotions. That's fine. If all you get from this, this study this um, afternoon is that I need to start devotions. If all you're going to do is this 10 minutes, or 5 minutes, or 15 minutes, then start. Start consecrating yourself first thing in the morning. Just surrender your life, do a prayer, read a little devotional thought, and just move on. If that's all you get, praise God. But some of us are like spiritual babies. Maybe you're born and um, you learn to lift up your neck, you're having devotions. But some of you maybe have to learn how to actually crawl, right? So you can take another principle and you can add it on. Some of you may be already crawling in your walk with God, right? And some of you maybe, what's the next thing after crawling? Okay. Well, standing is good too, right? <laughs> so um, my daughter, yeah, she stood. 
she stood first, and remember she's going like this, right? And what happens? She falls. You're like, what are you, are you crazy? And you, why did you fall down? Are you doing that to our child? You're like, you want to hit your child? No, it's okay, right? You get excited. Oh, try again. And that's where God is at. You're trying, you're trying in your walk with God. God's going to be excited at whatever stage you may be at, right? Okay, so what's after standing? So in other words, maybe you're already having a good devotions. Maybe you're doing 20, 30 minutes. You're having a good time with the Lord. You're getting to know Him and loving Him, obeying Him. What happens after um, you're standing, then you're walking? What's next after walking? Okay, you're running, right? And we're told we ought to run the race, aren't we not, right? Run the race. Now, maybe some of you are Christians. You're so advanced in your spirituality. Your devotion time is, is beautiful every time. And it's going very, very well in your walk with God. But maybe here you think, well, I'm going to learn out of this. Well, maybe that maybe God, we want to sprint for the Lord, right? Not just run. So, and maybe you're already sprinting. But maybe God's saying, well, maybe I want to improve your technique a little bit better. So where you're lifting your, your arm to a 90 degree angle, right? And this is like perfect um, for aerodynamics, um, a perfect <laughs> angle. And so that's what God wants us to learn, I believe, in, um, possibly in, what we, in our study this afternoon. So the second thing is here, that he woke up a good while in the morning. Now, why is it good to have devotions early in the morning? Give me some good reasons why. What's your thought? Concentrate better? Less distractions? What kind of distractions do people have out there? Noise? <laughs> How many have children? <laughs> Had children? Only me? <laughs> You know, it's so beautiful in the morning um, where before she wakes up, it's so quiet. But once my daughter wakes up, I'm telling you, <laughs> there's hardly any rest in the home, right? She's excited, Daddy. I ask her, you know, prayer time, and I go outside. But there's something there about being quiet in the morning. It's just very beautiful. Um, amen. So grace is sufficient for that day. So prayer is very important, right? So prayer in early in the morning. Okay, so it's very important to have it in the morning. Now, there was a uh, text I want us to turn to in Exodus chapter 16, verse 21. And hold your finger in Mark 1. Exodus 16. When God gave to the Israelites manna, what happened as the sun came up and it got later in the morning? Exodus 16, verse 21. Notice the Bible says, and they gathered every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it what? Melted. Melted. Now, manna refers to, the spiritual manna refers to the bread of heaven. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. The bread of heaven, right? Which is uh, the word of God, right? In other words, that freshness of the heavenly sent bread that would feed you spiritually, it began to melt as the sun came up. That's why there's something Jesus went out, I believe Jesus went out there. He wanted to get a good experience. You know, I remember in the morning devotions, I live in Hawaii, um, five acres, beautiful. Uh, it is beautiful in the mornings, in the sunset, some mornings, this turquoise sky with orange lights flashing. It's so beautiful. I just see in the morning where looking through the trees and I can see the sun glistening through it, the wind blowing, the Chinese thrush singing. Can you hear it? This is beautiful, and I can hear God's voice. I can hear God's love to me. I can exp I experience His love in the morning devotions. And it's before the morning, and to see it in the quietness, and to hear the birds start to sing. It's beautiful. And you can hear God's voice. You can get to know God more. 
And I believe that Jesus chose and said a great while in the morning, not only in the morning, but a great while so he can get to know God. Now, my question, how do we get, how does this happen? When does the day begin, according to the Bible? And the, and the evening and the morning. Does it, does it begin at 12 o'clock? Okay, evening and the morning. So when is the evening? When the sun, what? Sets. So that's the day begins. So in other words, it's funny, wherever I go on speaking engagements, I'm looking for two places. One is, I'm looking for a good health food store, right? <laughs> And number two is, I'm looking for a place to have my devotions. Because it's very important. And I plan my devotions in advance. In other words, in the night before, I'm planning way ahead. I'm planning for the next day. Because my day for me begins at night, the night before. And it makes sense, right? In other words, if you're at a, a, someone's house and you're having fun with fellowship, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, Hmm, how much hours of sleep will I get before, so I can have a good time in devotions tomorrow morning? I'm thinking about my devotions. And I think we have to plan. You can't just like sleep whatever and say, okay, I'll just have my devotions. I think we have to plan the, that day. When the day starts, we're planning already how devotions will be the next morning. And I think that when we do that ahead, God will really bless us in our walk with Him. Uh, so we can spend time with the one we love in the morning. And I want to get to know and love my Savior because He loves me and you. What do you say, huh? Amen? Okay, back to Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Where did Jesus go to have his morning devotion? Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Again, these are all principles. You can do one principle, two, add them. You may be doing them all. I'm way advanced, but these are principles to help us to learn to love God more. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he stayed within his house. Is that what it says? What does it say? He what? Went out. In other words, he went outside into nature. And we just learned that, you know, the Sabbath reveals a time where we can spend time with God, number one. But also, number two, the Sabbath is a time where we can actually get to see God's creation because the heavens declare the what? The glory. And God's glory is his what? Character of love. So as you look in nature, nature declares or preaches, right? Declare, preaches. Nature preaches the character of God's love. And so when you go outside, not only do you get to read God's word, but looking upon God's creation, there's a different aspect, a, like a diamond. You see a different, different angle of God's character, love, and you appreciate him a little bit more when you see his love as revealed out through his creation in nature. And I feel that has been a, a positive, uh, positive way for me to get to know God more in a special way. Let's go to this, the last one. It says, with whom, number 11, with whom did Jesus have morning worship with? It says, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed and did group worship and there prayed. Is that what it says? In other words, he went out into a what? Solitary place. He spent time alone. And I know that, you know, I've been to sometimes, we go on a, like a mission trip, and almost like, or members, they depend upon a group worship for the spirituality. But that's not strong enough. You need your own time with God, right? I need my time with God. You need your own time with God. And yes, let's come together in group worship. But let's not depend upon corporate or group worship for our spirituality. What do you say, huh? Amen? Amen. 
You may go to these conferences that come up all the time. But if all you are doing is depending upon the spirituality of group worship and conferences and conventions and jumping from convention and conference to conference for your spirituality, I believe we're, we're missing the point, are we not? We need to teach our people that they need to be dependent upon God and God alone themselves. And great, we come together, but not let them become addicted to conferences and um, uh, they call it... Uh, <laughs> I call it seminar you know, junkies. They're so addicted. They're addicted to the seminars. They got to get next, get, for the next fix, they got to get shot up again, right? <laughs> and they're jumping from spiritual fix to spiritual fix to spiritual fix. It's nice. And these conferences, are, they're great. And worshiping together, is, this is great, actually. But if, this is, if all this is doing is substituting your own personal time with God, this is, this is actually doing you more harm. And God wants you to have your individual walk with Him. Believe what I'm saying. Let me hear you say amen. 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 So at the end of 11, spend time with God every morning. Spend time with God before the sun rises. Sleep early every night so that you can get up early to spend time with God. Spend time with God out in nature. Spend time with God alone. I know you can't always do these things, you know, and there's people maybe who work graveyard shift, right? How are you going to spend time in the morning? You're working, right? So you have to take these principles and apply it in a practical way and adjust it into your life, right? And this use of whatever works. You know, I'm on a plane in the morning. I can't have, I mean, I'm sleeping in the morning, whatever. You got to adjust to where you're at. I may be in a place where I can't go outside. I'm at a hotel, right? I just got to, there's actually, there's nothing but buildings all around anyway. So it's the same thing. I can't see God's creation. So you have to go where, uh, you have to follow the principles and apply it to your situation. God gives us principles and it gives you the wisdom to apply. If that's clear, let me hear you say amen. Amen? Okay, so let's go to Exodus chapter 39, verse 29. Oh, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 32, yes. Um, 32, verse 29. What are we to do every morning? Actually, I'm just going to read you the quotation, and this uh, Steps of Christ, page 70. It says, and you can fill it out at home. It says, Consecrate yourself to God in the morning, Make this your very first work. It says in Exodus to consecrate yourselves. Moses said to the people, consecrate yourselves. So we are to consecrate and surrender ourselves to God every single morning. Now, turn to Psalms 143, verse 8. Psalms 143, verse 8. What did David want to hear from God every morning? The Bible says, 43, 143, verse 8. Cause me to hear your what? Ah, beautiful, loving kindness. In the when? Morning. For in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. For I lift up my soul unto thee. In other words, what David wanted to see was he wanted to see God's love and kindness. He wanted to see God's love, his character love. That's what he prayed. That's what he wanted, his devotional walk. In other words, this is good for dry spells. I really believe that, you know, the reason why we get dry spells is because we're losing focus of the purpose we even having the morning devotions. And that I'm, I'm to blame all the time. I, I go through this experience all the time where I go to a dry spell, and the problem is that I'm just going through the motions of devotions, right? Never happened to you? I've been there many times. I'm going through the motions. I'm just going to the externals, and I have a set of limits. I'm going to do this amount of time. I'm going to do this. I go to my ritual, right? Like as a system, and like 
I lose the whole purpose. The whole purpose is actually to get to know God, right? So I can love God so that I can what? Be truly obedient. And that's what God wants us to do. So I realized that David here, he wanted to, you know what, David wanted to hear God's love. In the same way, we should also hear God's um, love spoken through his word in nature. Notice his quotations. Not just go through the motion, but the purpose of devotion is actually to get to know God. Why? So that you may love God. That's the whole purpose, to love God. It's easy to get sidetracked many times and many different teachings. And people, man, people always handing me stuff to study. They always give me things to study, right? Always, everyone has the truth, right? And I've been there before. And, you know, I've, I felt I had the truth. I got to share it to everybody. But everyone has their own. They have the, the truth. And so they're giving me stuff. But, you know, I don't want to listen anymore. You know why? Because a lot of the works out there, they're Christ-less presentations. As Ellen White calls it, dry as the hills of Gilboa, she says it, right? In other words, this is the law. There's no Christ-centeredness. In other words, when I started studying, especially one time I was really into, you know, just studying this uh, new teaching and new light, right, that's coming out. And I remember I was just, you know, I was fascinated by it, but you know what? It killed me spiritually because I was just studying this, this teaching and doctrines, and it did not reveal Christ. It did not uplift the love of God. I did not love Him more. And I realized that in my life, I was going away from God. Notice what she says here in Review and Herald, July 21, 1904. The Lord desires me to call the attention of His people to the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. What chapter is this about? Ah, interesting. Notice what she says. Read this chapter how often? Every day. From it attains comfort and strength. Amen, huh? So when I read this chapter, you know, it's funny, even though you know that, and I read it every day, read it for the last 15 years or so, it can still can become a form, can it not? <laughs> Especially if you're reading every day. So I'm like, what's a different way I can read this that is not the same old thing over and over? So, um, you know, I really... John, 1 John 4 verse 8 says that God is what? Love. So what I do is I substitute charity or love. I substitute the word God in there. And then at the end of that statement, I put with me. So I, this is how I read 4 to 8. I read it. God suffers long or is patient with me. And what that does is that I see God in a different way. I see, well, God is patient with me. God loves me. God is patient with me. How can I not um, be patient with someone else? Because I first experienced that patience he has toward me first. Then I go, and is kind. God is kind with me. God does not envy me. God does not boast himself against me. God is not proud against me. God does not behave himself rudely against me. God is not seeking not own. God is not selfish against me. God is not easily irritated against me. God thinks no evil of me. God rejoices not in sin when I sin. God does, rejoices in when I follow the truth. God bears all things with me. God believes all things with me. God hopes all things with me. God endures all things with me. God never fails me. And when I see that through those eyes, I realize that there's a God that loves me when I see these different pictures of, of aspects of God's character of love. And then I fall and I love Him more and more each day. And I want that love. How about you, huh? What do you say? Amen? Amen. And I believe... Yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. Look at the next quotation. Desire of Ages, page 83. 
It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful what? How long? Hour each day in the contemplation of proof texting certain doctrines. Is that what it says? Ah, the life of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? The life of Christ. Notice what it says. We should take it point by point and let the imagination grasp each scene. So use your imagination, especially the what? Closing scenes. What happened in the closing scenes of Christ's life? What happened? The cross. The cross clearly reveals the character of a God who loves you more than he loves himself. What do you say, huh? Amen? Now that when you see a God who loves you more than he loves himself, that does something to you. It should transform you. One hour each day, focusing on the life of Christ. No, my favorite book is Desire of Ages. I just love that book. Yeah, amen? And it transforms you when you study. When you, if you behold, in other words, if we behold, yes, there's negative things in our church, right? Yes, there's apostasy in our church. But you know what? If you are beholding apostasy, and by beholding you become changed, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to become negative. You're going to become critical. You ever met anyone like that? You ever been there yourself too? I've been there. Yes, there's, there's evil everywhere. We live in a world of sin, right? True. But if all we're doing is focusing on the negative in people, if all we're doing is focusing on the, the bad things and beholding become changed, we're going to become critical. We're going to be, um, we're going, and it's hard to break out of that habit, let me tell you. I know people, they cannot break out of it. But by the grace of God, all things is possible. Huh? Amen? As we thus dwell upon His great sacrifice for us, number one, our confidence in Him will be more constant. Our love will be quickened. We may will be made alive, and we shall be more deeply imbued with His Spirit. Do not need these characteristics these days. I believe we really need them. What do you say, huh? Amen? This is what we need in these last days. If we will be saved at last, we must learn the lesson of penitence and humiliation at the foot of the cross. Isn't that beautiful? I believe that we need to focus on God's character of love more, especially in these last days. Now, what did David... uh, do psalms 104 psalms 104 33 to 34 i will sing unto the lord as long as i live i will sing praise to my god while i have my being my meditation of him shall be sweet I'll be glad in the Lord. In other words, David meditated. There's a time in the morning, I believe, in our worship, we need to reflect upon what we read. In other words, don't just go through your prayers. Don't just read the Bible or the spirit of prophecy or whatever devotional book you're reading and then end. I think God wants us to look at that passage and then chew on it, right? Meditate upon it. Reflect upon what was said. And let those words sink into your heart. Let it the, word, the Spirit take the Word and transform our hearts. Um, and let's go over to the end. It says here, Summary, consecrate yourself to God every morning, number one. Two, study about the love of God. And number three, meditate on the love of God. You notice the focus. I believe that our focus in our worship and devotions should be primarily to get to know God and love God. Because love awakens what? 
love, right? So as you see God's love that He has for you, that's the whole purpose of devotions. In other words, we need to have the love of God, right? So that we can be obedient to God. In order to get that love, you can't initiate it on your own. It's impossible. So think of devotions as this. The primary purpose of devotions is for love to awaken within your heart toward God, right? That's the primary purpose. Not to go through the motions, but to experience that love in your heart for God. Why? So you can be obedient and experience true victory over sin externally and internally. But the only way that you're going to have love for God, you see, you cannot muster love in your heart for God. It's impossible. It's like a relationship. If you, just, if you don't love someone, you cannot force yourself to love one, somebody, somebody. But sometimes I've seen it where relationships where a certain guy chased a girl. And I remember this girl was saying, I, I just didn't like this guy. I just, you know, I, I knew some guys too. said, I didn't like this girl. And, um, but he kept chasing me and chasing me and chasing me and initiating, right? Initiating. Guess what happened? By that love, love awakened what? Love. In the same way, when we behold the love of God up there, and we see God's love that He has for us, or in our heart, we see the love that God has for us, it does something in us, and it transforms our hearts, and we love God, and then we obey God. And I want that love, and I want to experience it more and more every day in my devotions. Turn to Luke chapter uh, 22. 29, 39, Luke chapter 22. What was Jesus used to doing? Luke 22, 39 to 41. The Bible says, And he came out and went, and as he was wont, what's another word for want? As was his what? custom, very good, to the Mount of Olives and his disciples also followed him and when, it, and when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that you enter not into temptation and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and what? Pray. In other words, Jesus made a special place where he would have his morning devotions. He made it his habit too, a custom. It was his custom to always pray at a certain time, accustomed to pray and to actually depend upon his Lord. He made it a habit, in other words, to depend upon his Father, to pray, to have his morning devotions. And it was make it a habit to spend time with God. And he knows that as you make it a habit, after a while, that when you don't have it, how do you feel? You just feel different, right? You feel like empty. You feel lonely. You feel that you're not connected with God. There's something there that happens by having time with a good habit with God. Okay, uh, turn to me. Let's skip to 17. What, hap- what are we to do if our mind wanders? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. You can finish 16 um, at home. We'll go to 17. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the what? Obedience of Christ. In other words, when our mind wanders, we are to, by habit, bring it back. What do you say? Amen? 
Okay, there's a quotation from the Spirit of Prophecy. If the mind wanders, we must bring it back. By persevering effort, habit will finally make it easy. Amen? We talked about that earlier, right? Where you're lying down and you start thinking about this and even ministry and your mind races and you think about this in, devo- in your morning devotions and you think about what you're going to do tomorrow and then the next week and then um, calling up your wife and all these different things um, that, that we get um, clogged in our mind with. Okay, turn me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. When Daniel ate a simple plant-based diet, what happened? This is crucial. We're going to go into the health message. Okay, Daniel chapter 1, verse 12. The Bible says, and first of all, notice what the, the, the challenge was made and what Daniel wanted. Daniel said, Prove your servants, I beseech you, how many days? Ten days. And let them give us pulse to eat and water to what? Drink. So pulses plus vegetables. So this is actually a plant-based vegetarian diet. That's what he wanted, right? And these, notice what happens. There are three things that happen I want you to notice. Verse 15. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in what? flesh than all the children which did eat of the portion of the king's meat. In other words, when they ate, when they changed their lifestyle, when they changed their diet, now what is this referring to? Is this a physical, mental, or spiritual appearance? What is this? Physical, right? So there was a physical change in, um, in, in, their, in their health, in their lifestyle. And you notice that when you change your lifestyle, you're going to be um, more energy, right? More, you're going to feel much better. You're going to look much better. We had a student had a whole bunch of pimples, and he did a cleanse, and um, his pimples start clearing up, right? And so you just notice that your whole body, you feel much better um, in, in how you feel. But not only that, you know, as a young people, young people really don't care about, you know, 40 years down the line of getting cancer. You know, you better eat healthy or you're going to get cancer, right? They're not thinking about that. So when I was got into the health messes. I thought it was good to do it because I love God and I want to be obedient. But really, the, the physical aspect of the health message didn't really appeal to me when I first started changing my lifestyle, right? Okay, notice what else it says here. Look at verse um, 20. What else happened? The Bible says, And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, astrologers, they're in all his realm. Now, once you know that these astrologers and these um, Chaldeans and all these people, these were actually their teachers in the University of Babylon. In other words, just like David said, that when I study the word, I become more wiser than all my what? My teachers, right? My ancient, the teachers, right? So in other words, when you, when you change your lifestyle, your diet, you become wiser. They were 10 times wiser than the wisest men in the whole, in the whole kingdom, in the whole university. Because Babylon was an educational center of that known world. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he was a grand patron, right, of the University of Babylon. In fact, he actually did the final testing for these Hebrews, right? And so he, when you change your lifestyle, your diet, your mind becomes sharper. And is this physical, mental, or spiritual? Mental, right? So 10 times wiser, mental. Now, you know, um, my brother, 
uh, he went to uh, a school with, how many of you guys have heard of Dr. Shintani? He's from Hawaii. But he does the Hawaii diet, okay, several of you, okay, Hawaii diet and the Waianae diet, which is actually a plant-based diet. And he's not an Adventist, but he did a seminar with Weimar in Hawaii one time, and I was talking with him afterwards, and he said that when he was in medical school, he was eating meat. He was in medical school, he was getting C's and some D's. He said when he changed his diet, he went from C's and some D's to straight A's. He's telling me this. He's not even an Adventist. Does not the Bible, is not the Bible true that when you change a diet, do you not become wiser also? Your mind is sharper, right? But you know, that's not the reason why I changed my lifestyle also, my diet. This is the main reason why. Look at verse 17. How did it affect Daniel? The Bible says, And as for these four children... Right after they did that test, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all what? Visions and what? Dreams. Is this physical, mental, or spiritual? Spiritual. In other words, our diet affects us physically, mentally, and spiritually. What do you say, huh? Amen? Amen. It's important. I know when my diet and I stray from where, you know, everyone's at different walks. Where I'm not saying you have to eat a certain way like me or anyone else. But I know that I progress over all these years. I've been eating this way, lifestyle of uh, 15 years. I've been progressing. It's been, this, you know, where I'm at, where I was 15 years ago, even as being a vegan, is totally different where I'm at today. And I learned that I'm growing. Everyone, we're at different stages. But I know and I know my body so well at this point where I know where my diet affects me and it affects me spiritually. And you know that too, right? In other words, we can't really experience, in other words, we cannot comprehend the mysteries of God's character, His love. We cannot see it in our morning devotions. That's why I'm bringing it up. You can't really clearly see it if our mind is clogged down with all the foods that we're eating that's bad for us. Amen. You can't see His character clearly. You can't have these visions and dreams. You know, in the last days in Joel, Chapter 2, right? The old men would dream dreams. There's going to be they're having visions, right? There's going to be men and women prophesying. How are we going to do that unless there's a radical change in our lifestyle, including our diet? What do you say, huh? Amen? Amen. So God wants us to change our lifestyle. And you're not, going to, you're not going to clearly have victory, I believe. You're not going to have victory unless you clearly see you know God, right? And if you know God clearly, know God, understand God, see Him, His character, you will clearly what? You will love Him. And if you truly love Him, you will obey Him. And the more you know God's character, the more you will love God and His character. And the more you love God, the more you will obey God, right? But if our mind is clogged down with our lifestyle, with our diet, and we can't understand, we can't see spiritual things, then we're not going to truly get to the point where we can love God and obey Him. And I've seen that. I've seen that with students when they go off on their lifestyle, their diet, their knowledge of God, their love of God, it dwindles. I see my own lifestyle when I change my, when I go off on my, what I used to, I can see my spirituality slowly dying because of that. And that's, this is only one aspect. There's many other aspects. My relationship with God got to be real. You know that, right? It can't be going to the form. More important than the diet, because a body exercise profited little, the Bible says, right? That's important. 
But most important is actually the heart reform. But with that heart reform comes health reform. What do you say, huh? Amen? Amen. So let's seek for true body reform. Let's go to uh, the last text, John 7, verse 17. If we're willing to be obedient, what will we know? John 7, verse 17. The Bible says, If any man would do his will, he should know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. In other words, God's going to give us more teachings, doctrines, or truth only if we're willing to obey what's already been given to us. What do you say, huh? Amen? Some people believe that. Some people say, you know, Pastor, I, I want to learn the deep mysteries of God. I want to study. I want to have powerful preaching. I'll be able to teach this and powerful, teach these powerful principles. But my thing is, why would God give you these powerful insights if you're not being obedient to what you already know? Amen. He's not going to do it. And so... If you're not being obedient to what God has already given, you have to be faithful in the little He's given to you. And not, not in the sense that you know it, but actually you know it and you love God you, that you're obeying what God has already given to you. And that's what God's people, I believe, that's what I need to do more. And God wants us to experience in our lives. Summarizing this last section. Make it a habit to spend time with God every morning. Two, be patient to hear God's voice. Do not rush your time with God. Three, keep your mind focused on Christ and bring it back if it wanders. Four, seek to have a mind clear to hear God's love by a simple diet and lifestyle. Five, be willing to be obedient so that God can reveal even more of His love to you and me. I believe that the last generation will understand God's character in a more clear way than ever before. We're told right in Christ's Object Lessons that the last, last, not next to the last, but the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation, a revealing of His what? Character of what? Of love. In other words, how are we going to see God's character if we're not studying His character of love? How are we going to see His love if we're never trying to study what His character of love is really about? And that's why God wants us to see His character, get to know who He really is. Because if you know His character, you will love Him. For to know God is to love Him. And if you love God, you will be Him with all of your heart. And that's what the gen final generation will have. The final generation will be a movement that will have the character of Christ's love perfectly reproduced within them. I want that in my life. How about you? What do you say? Huh? Amen? Amen. May God help us to see His character in a clear way that we may know, love, and obey Him with all of our hearts. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and for teaching us about Your character of love. May we, in everything we do, may we desire to see it in a more clear way. We thank you, Lord, for already answering our prayers. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask. Amen.